Hey there. Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. Yes, we are twins. And yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. Hey, we're coming to you from uh, Last Chance, Iowa. And we were just talking to our guests and saying that we've really been picking on Iowa, and we plan to continue to do so. Even though we say this is your last chance, Iowa. It's not really because we're going to continue to find things to talk about you. Jason, any thoughts you want to make? You want to take any slams on Iowa while we're at it? I mean, it's just too easy. <laughs> it's too easy. <laughs> we are delighted to have Jason Berg with us today. Jason is the president and co-owner of Pixo. And I'm going to say it's a software development company, but that's probably not right, given what you were just sharing with us. You can correct me, Jason, in terms of what Pixo does, but it's a company that is in Champaign, Illinois, and Jason has been in a leadership role there for a significant amount of time. And so, Jason, maybe you could briefly tell us about your history and experience as a leader. And uh, like we said in our note to you, don't be modest. Modesty doesn't work on this show. So just brag as much as you'd like to. (laughs) Well, very good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you both and chance to talk about myself. You know, there's always great. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny, uh, you know, Pixo is a software development company, but we we pair that with user experience research. That's kind of the unique kind of niche we play is like both designing and understanding users and then actually building out the software. So usually people have a, a, a bit of like, a you know, we're just a web development firm or website firm or whatever. So software development is a great, if nothing else, that's a perfect description of us. So I appreciate it. Now, user experience research, that means you do research. I know we, we've we had on occasion uh, with Aslan having to deal with users, and typically yeah. we just send them a note saying, hey, I turn off your computer. You're too dumb to use it. Is that the kind of <laughs> user research you do? You know, it's interesting. I was re- listening to your podcast on dialogue, and I said, you know, one of the things, if I ever bring up UX research on this call, I'll reference that dialogue thing, because it's one of the main things is helping people understand what it is and why it's different than what they expect. Because I think to understand user experience research is a bit of a paradigm shift because it's basically saying you as the person who's like building the software or trying to sell the software or in some way involved in it, you are not the right person to talk to in terms of like what it should do and how it should function and what the priorities are. So user experience research says, let's take all the things you're trying to do with the software and then you stop talking for a bit. And we're going to go over and examine the users that you're trying to like target. And we're going to understand them not in direct relation to the software, but who they are and how they function. And then we use that information to say, okay, this is what you're trying to do as a company. And this is the software you're trying to build. These are the users that you have. Now, the UX design comes up and says, here is how to present this information and the priority in the order and the context surrounding it. This is how we develop the software and make it look and function so that it really fits your users. So when they arrive at your software or your website, it feels like home to them. It strikes me with what you're saying is that communication then is uniquely important to you because you're not just bringing in a template and say, here, we're going to tell you how do you do this thing. You're doing an awful lot of listening, a lot referencing dialogue, that that notion is extremely important in terms of the way you all conduct your business. Yeah, absolutely. I interrupted you, but keep talking about your role as president, uh, your role as leader, so we can maybe ask some questions about how you manage 
communication personally. Yeah. This yeah. is all about you, Jason. Of we course. It to be all about you. No, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. So as I was reflecting on, on leadership and, and communication, I was, I was thinking one of the things that I bring that feels most unique to other folks is that ability to see the chain of events very clearly about how we got to here. And then the, the sort of like possible futures based on things we might decide today and where that might take us. And I tend to be probably as wrong as everybody else in my predictions, but the ability to tease that apart and think about the past and the future, that kind of big picture thinking is something that people gravitate to and they take a lot of comfort in. Again, even if it's not always exactly accurate, just being able to pull together a narrative about like what makes sense about how we got here and how how are the things that we are deciding here today going to potentially work out. So I think that's really where I spent a lot of my time is thinking about those issues and thinking about whether it's an internal issue or with customer who's coming to us with a problem or an employee who, who has an issue, just being able to sort of hold in balance what brought them to this point and where they're trying to go and sort of holding all those things in tension is, is kind of where I spent a lot of my time. And I think, in fact, it's thrust me into positions of leadership often before I'm even ready. I'm often in positions where I don't quite have all of the tools that I need to be effective at each of those positions. So I just wanted to wonder with you, Jason, what's the number of staff, number of associates yeah. you have at Pixel? We've got 25 right now and we're trying to hire. So oscillate around there, but which they often say is kind of a, the, the worst size company. You know, 10 to 15 or lower tends to be okay. And then above 50 tends to be okay. But right where we're at, you know, plus 25 to 50, it's a pretty tough place to be. So, Well, talk to us about that. What This is the first time I've actually heard that comment, that yeah. that's a pretty difficult space to be in. What makes that so difficult? You know, I, a lot of it surrounds communication because when you're small, you can talk to everybody. You can get buy-in from the entire company. You can make decisions together. You can quickly resolve mistakes that you made by running over and saying, oh, hey, sorry, this is why we did that. And and there's just a, a bit of an understanding. And once you get to 50, to survive at that level, you need a lot better systems. You need you know good HR, you need good middle management layers to, to disseminate communications and to make sure that everybody understands what's happening at every level. And right in the middle 30, you know, we're just outside the bounds of where we can effectively talk to everybody. We can't make consensus decisions anymore, but we're not so big that we have all of our systems kind of set in place and figured out. Hmm. And so I, I think it's really about not having enough folks to have sophisticated systems, but having just too many people that you can't effectively touch everybody individually. Well, Ray, your role as vice president of HR for the companies you've overseen, it, does that ring any bells for you in terms well, yeah, of that, about the kinds of... Yeah, that's absolutely accurate to me. I mean, you move from a mom and pop shop that has relative intimacy where you, you operate a bit more like a family and the connections don't have to be formal. You feel that you can move between things fairly easily. Mm -hmm. Once you get over that if you will, magic number, then you're talking about real complications just in staying in touch mm -hmm. and having 50 people feel like they're in the know. I mean, when you're small, everyone feels like they know what's going on. But the moment you reach that larger number, you've got people who feel like they're on the outside and they're not getting all the information they need. So mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more, Jason, that your communication issues become large quickly and, mm -hmm. and just mm -hmm. just based on numbers, not based on the people. And I liked uh, your idea there, Jason, that reaching consensus is no longer the same issue. Mm -hmm. It's no longer the same strategy. You have to work that differently. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, you know, a lot of what I know today comes from my business partner, Melinda Miller. So two of us are co-owners of the company and, and she's a CEO and she has really shown me quite a lot in terms of how to kind of build up group dynamic of buy-in by both engaging folks at multiple points with surveys and opportunities to speak, and then being very consistent and clear about following up on anything she's asked about. And that's that was kind of the big key. You know, if you ask somebody a question and you don't follow up on it and make it real, then you've created this sort of negative cycle. Well, no one cares anybody anyway. Mm-hmm. They're just asking because they want us to think that they care, but they don't actually care. And so in, in terms of like that big picture thinking really does fall down if people don't feel like you're going to make a consistent effort to take advantage of that thinking and that level. And so we, in, in a lot of ways, I feel like we're kind of a perfect complement. We're both very innovative and forward thinking. And Melinda tends to focus on how do we get to this innovative idea? And I tend to think a little bit more outside uh, focused about where, where that will take us. I'm assuming that you are hoping Melinda is listening to this podcast, right? Do you want us to oh, yeah. send her a special <laughs> note and say, hey, Melinda, heads up. You're yeah. getting uh, shouts out here everywhere from Jason about Please how do. Yeah. terrific you are. So, okay, we'll we'll send her that note to make sure she's plugged into this, this particular podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. That's Your great. numbers will go up by one at least. <laughs> Well, that's, that's what we want. That's what we're looking for, Jason, always. Well, now, one of the questions we wanted to ask is we wanted to explore with you maybe some of the most difficult communication situations you find yourself in. Yeah, I think the the moments where it's been most difficult are surprise situations, things that are happening internally, like we, we've needed to fire somebody or externally. Think of how we had to re- respond to the George Floyd killing. Of It brought up a lot of emotion internally. We had a desire to respond as individuals and as a company just to deal with some of the emotional impact of that. And those are those moments where I find I find that my communication comes in in play most acutely of of just being able to be really present in those moments and Mm. hear what folks are saying, what they're feeling, and be able to give voice to some of that in a way that feels satisfying. In a lot of these emotionally charged situations, folks aren't quite clear on what they're feeling. We're able to articulate some portion of that typically, but not all of it. And we really desire the somebody to help pull that out and to give voice to it so that we feel heard, understood, but also that we can let go of some of that emotional impact. I'm really interested in what you said by bringing up George Floyd and such a national event. And that's yeah. not where my mind would have gone. I was thinking more kind of a specific communication situation within the organization. Sure. But you raising the issue that these national events do affect organizations. They have an emotional impact. And particularly on an organization yeah. like yours, many of your people are younger people who are very yeah. in touch with what's going on nationally. Could you speak even sure. more specifically about what you meant by that, what you did in that particular situation when you said when the George Floyd thing happened? Yeah. Uh, did you have a, a company-wide communication event or did you send out notes or how did you handle that? Yeah. I'm sure we did several things, you know, only a few of which I'll, I'll probably be able to remember accurately. But in the past, as national events have happened, we often make space for conversation. Whether hmm. that at a morning meeting, we can get rid of the agenda and say, let's just talk about 
what's going on. Or, hey, we know this is a big deal. You know, we're going to gather at lunch, get on Zoom, talk about anything people want to talk about. And so we've tried to institute, you know, that kind of response to, to anything that we know is, is going to impact folks. And a, as you said, they are a, a younger group, a more connected group, a more engaged group, and they really do follow what's happening in the national media. And they are affected by it. And I think all are to some extent. And, and I, it was very interesting to see some companies just to, you know, make a statement, you know, and expect their entire organization to move on. And I think in a lot of ways, it's an easier thing to do. I know that you're feeling this. You know that you're feeling this. I can't do anything about it. I'm not going to make it better. So let's just pretend that I'll just say this thing. You go back to work, but I know you're going to spend all day fixating on it and we'll just pretend that you're not. And so I think I think having this moment of saying, we know that this is on your mind. We know this is going to dominate your internal conversation, your internet searching. And so to recognize that and pull it to the fore and just say, we know there's not anything we can do right now until people sort of process this information. Anything we pretend to do will, will be ineffective. So, so let's actually talk about it. And then we made a response document. We reexamined our values and were they strong enough? And were we being effective enough in pushing some of those initiatives forward? And we created a DEI committee to bring these ideas to our attention more often, to find ways to keep dialogue going over time. And that and so I, I, I'm sure there's other things that we have done and other ways that we've reacted, but those are the ones that, that come to mind. Ray, were you wanting to jump in? I couldn't tell. Well, I, I just think that's outstanding. I, I think what Jason's saying about most organizations, treating it so matter-of-factly, we know, you know, so let's just consider it kind of closed. Rather than having a conversation, rather than having room for people to kind of sanction their feelings, feel comfortable in questioning where others might be. I think that's so rare, but I would think in a smaller organization that's critical to the level of trust, particularly young people, their sense that uh, there's a caring element to our leadership. And without that, I think people begin to believe, you know, communication here just doesn't work. I'm kind of on my own. I'll just make it work. Yeah. And and even as you were saying, Jason, to have the conversation versus Melinda and I will put out a statement on all of our behalf and that's the mm-hmm. end of it. Mm-hmm. And clearly mm-hmm. I'm hearing you say, no, we at Pixo handle it differently than that. We believe anything that has a potential of impacting the individuals in the organization, the entire organization emotionally, we want to have a conversation about it. We want them engaged. We want them to have a chance to talk about it. Am I right in reading it that way? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, back to my earlier statement about Mel's desire to kind of be consistent and and to do something with that information. You know, my tendency would be to be present in the moment, get us through this moment and then get back to what I felt like was a a good position that we were in before. But in this instance, when you open up that communication, that line of communication and allow people to bring that into the workspace, you can't then go back to to where you were a couple of days ago. You have to move forward as an organization. You have to make changes. And so I understand why other organizations don't want to surface this. It's, It's not because they don't realize that it's affecting folks or that it's not something that they would like to talk about, but you're opening a box that you cannot close again. You have to you have to respond as an organization and and make action because otherwise it's just empty talk. You know, we can stand up there all day and say we care about this thing, put out as many statements as we like, but that quickly becomes old for folks if that's all that it is. And so you have to respond. You have to you have to make some institutional changes to be believable and authentic. 
Well, I think if you're going to use that one-way conversation in today's culture, you really need to be good with emojis. <laughs> you know, and I was going to also make a, a point. You you referenced Mel, and that's mm-hmm. Melinda. And mm-hmm. so you know her as Mel, so all of our listeners can know oh, yeah. her as Mel. <laughs> hey, now listen, we are right up against it time-wise. We had yeah. one question we want to ask everybody, mm-hmm. and that is, who are some of your communication heroes? And please don't feel like you have to say the twins, even though that's probably correct. We want, <laughs> But we are interested in hearing different leaders' perspectives of communication by identifying the people they look up to regarding sure. communication. So any thoughts on your communication heroes? Yeah, you know, and actually, I'd be lying if I didn't say you were on that list, Bob. <laughs> you know, I, I I was reflecting on on your ability to to dig deep. And as I again, as I was listening to that dialogue episode, I started to see why, you know, a lot of that came from your understanding of what good communication is. But just sticking with a question, staying in the question is something I've seen you do year and year, year in and year out and quite effective. And it's, it's one of the areas where I'd really like to grow. So, so that alone puts you on the, on that list, Bob. Uh, <laughs> the other person I really like is Simon Sinek. And I, I don't know if you would think of him as a communications person, but mm-hmm. I certainly do. You know, a book that I've enjoyed most recently from his is Leaders Eat Last. And it's really about creating an environment of high trust in an organization and all the ways that the leaders uh, contribute to that or detract from that. And it's a less spoken communication than it is the compendium of, of different actions, interactions, and conversations, and policies, and what, whatever, that really make people feel safe. And in those high-trust environments, people are more effective than in low-trust. And so, yeah. so that's really, when I think about how I think about setting up PIXO and how we're supposed to be most effective is, you know, on the one hand, it's being authentic with each other, bringing, bringing who we are into the workplace and not, there's a new TV show called Severance, which I have to watch, but like, <laughs> basically that show, I think looks at like, you actually are two different people in, in the office and, and home. Uh, but the other one is creating a sense of safety. So people can take smart risks, can push the bounds of things, can can really care about stuff. You know, we've seen the best work when people really care about a client, really care about their work. And that requires, you know, some level of agency, like this is my project and I, I'm contributing to it, and some level of safety. If I mess up, this goes sideways. I know that the folks at the top have my back. Mm. Again, I don't know if you would think of them as a, more of a communications person, but just in terms of how I, I conduct things, I think of, of Simon Sinek. To have me included in that group, I know Ray's going <laughs> to yeah. say, now I know why you invited Jason on. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, you probably prompted him, told him to say that. Otherwise, he couldn't come back. That's uh, right. But I uh, appreciate that, Jason, immensely. Hey, thanks yeah. so much for being a part of the podcast. Yeah. It was we great, Jason. having you. Absolutely. I was looking forward to it, and I'll, I'll talk to you all any day. So, podcast or not. <laughs> The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or a situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at twintalk46 at gmail.com. Remember, no communication problem is so big, so complicated, or so intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is. 
almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast. Thank you.